Saturday morning, I was taking my children to Target, where we're going to pick up some juice and bagels. And we're driving right into the sun as we're driving east, and it's coming up. And my daughter was talking about how bright the sun was. And she said, Daddy, I have been told that the sun is going to explode in 80 billion years. Do you think that's true? And I said, honey, it really doesn't matter. Give you two reasons why it doesn't matter. Right, number one, if we are still here, that is humanity, in 80 billion years, our technology will have gotten us off of this planet. The explosion of this sun, we will find other galaxies in 80 billion years. I said, but there's another reason. Jesus is coming back. And he is coming back for us. And he is going to remake all of this. He's going to give us a new heavens and a new earth. Now, I don't know if that'll happen before you die or not, but he's coming back. So we keep driving. A little while later, from the back seat, I hear my four-year-old. Daddy, when are we going to die? And then I hear my two-year-old, and what about the cows? <laughs> First question was hard enough. I don't know what he wants with the cows. I said, buddy, I, I, don't, I don't know when we're going to die. I mean, we, we don't know that. It, it's coming, I, but we don't know when that's going to happen. Well, when is God going to make everything again? I, I don't know that either, buddy. I mean, when Jesus comes back, I don't know when. He goes, well, this is what I know. I know that there was darkness, and then God made light, but I don't remember anything else. That's a good start. We'll go with that. I said, buddy, when do you think Jesus is going to come back? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know when the earth is going to be remade. Here's what I know. I know that he came. There was a first coming. I know that he's coming back. And when he does, he's going to remake the heavens and the earth. And we're going to have resurrected bodies. And we're going to live as God has always wanted us to live. But I also know we're here. We're in between. And, and we have no idea when this point is coming. But we're in between. How are we to live in between? Hey, we don't have an answer for when he's coming. We know he's come. We know he's coming again. We know we're here. How do we live here? That is stewardship. That is what we are talking about during this series, is how do we live between those two times? And last week, what we studied is we are made in the image of God. And that, that right there means inherently in our design, we are meant to be stewards. We were made in his image to represent him and to rule over what he created. We were given that. As image bearers, we are to steward what God has given. What's it look like? What do we know about stewardship? How are we to approach it? Before he comes, what is our life supposed to be? Right, this morning, 
I want to answer a couple of questions about stewardship, about that in-between time. What are you doing with your finances? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your family? What are you doing with your possessions? What are you doing with your dreams? I mean, all of the things that we have, what are we doing with them? How are we living in light of we're in between times? He's coming back. If you would, open up your Bible to Matthew 25. We're going to look at the parable of the talents. Matthew 25 starts in verse 14. Here's my first question that I want to answer. How important is stewardship? How important is this whole concept? How much of our energy should we really put into thinking about what we are doing with what God has given? Matthew 25 and verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He offers a story. There's this rich man, and he's, he's quite wealthy. The money that he's giving away would be equivalent of about $2 million today. Right? Except if you were to compare the number of rich versus the number of poor then, and you compare them to now, $2 million was probably even more than what it might be today. Right? So it's a lot of money that he is handing over in these talents. And he calls them, and he's going to go on a journey. So he tells his servants, come here. I'm going to give you some, and I'm going to give you some, and I'm going to give you some. And then he goes. And he takes off, and he leaves them there with all of this cash, $2 million. One of them takes his money, his talents, and he goes and he starts investing, and he starts working with it, and he doubles it. And another one takes it, and he goes, and he doubles it. And another guy takes it, and he says, all right, I'm going to make sure that this isn't lost. And one of the safest places to hold things is to go bury it so nobody can find it. So he goes and he buries it in the ground. Here's what I want to point out. Every servant was given something, and every servant did something with it. Let me tell you why stewardship is so important. You, don't look at anybody else, you have been given something by God. And you are managing it. Whether you're intentionally doing it, whether you're doing it for him or not for him, you are managing what you have been given. There isn't another option. You have been given something by the Lord. And I can start listing some things because the next two weeks, this is what we're going to talk about in great detail. You've been given life. You've been given a body. Many of you have been given a family. You've, been, you've got a home. You've got a job. You have a lot of stuff. You have been given things that are owned by God. And you are, as am I, managing them. 
why stewardship is so important is because God has entrusted you with something and you're doing something with it. Now, you may have never thought about it in that way. You never may have thought, well, let's see, here's my home. Ultimately, God owns this. How am I treating it knowing he owns it? Maybe you've never thought that way. That really doesn't matter. You're still managing it. You're still doing something with your home, with your finances, with your family, with your friends, with your job, with your body. You are managing what God has given you. Here's what I want us to recognize. The fact that we have been given and you can't escape that, and you are managing, it's got to play in to how we think. If we're going to consider stewardship, we have got to recognize we are going to manage what God's given us. The Pope is on his last day in America today. He leaves tonight. Came in on Tuesday, and he's been visiting a couple of cities. One of the places that he went was to address the Congress. And in that address, he covered a number of things. What was kind of amazing is afterwards, in certain interviews with both Republicans and Democrats, because he offended both, but they were still, for the most part, just in awe. I mean, they were, they were taken back by what he said. His words had such power to them, even in the areas where they disagreed at times. But one of the things he challenged them to was unity. Unity as the U.S. government. That a body that is supposed to represent the people and is supposed to lead the people and manage that's what they are. They're managing us and our country. They need to be together. And here's the irony of that. Next week, if they can't figure things out, there will be about 2 million service men and women who won't get paid because the Congress can't get past their issues, and they're actually not making a decision. I mean, that's just it. They're not making one. But they're not making one is impacting 2 million people that will not get a paycheck because there's no budget. But they still are serving. They're still going to go on their missions. Because here's what I want you to hear. Whether you make a decision for God, make a decision against God, or try to make a neutral decision and don't even make one, you are still managing what God has given you. And it's going to impact others, you. We have been given, and we are managing. And if that is the case, and it's that significant, then what should our approach be to stewardship? Right, I want to show you two in this parable, two different approaches, right? Look back at verse 16. He who had received five talents went at once. No hesitation. No, let me think through like, well, if I did this. It's like, no, I'm taking seriously what has just been given me. I'm going at once to take care of my master's money. This is my prime thing that I'm about now. Here I go. Take care of it. Second guy does the same. Verse 18, one who had received one talent, he dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. 
Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. He's been gone for an undisclosed period of time, much like the first and second coming. Undisclosed period, but he comes back. And it's time to settle accounts. I gave you a whole ton of money. Now, I want to know what you did with what I've given you. Verse 20, he had received five talents, came forward, bringing five talents more and saying, Master, just listen to even the language. Master, you're the one in charge. You delivered to me. You gave to me, and I'm recognizing it. I didn't do this. I didn't bring it about. You gave it to me. You delivered to me five talents. Here I have five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servants. That's what he's called. His job was well done. He is good and he is faithful and the master is excited and rightfully so. That's a whole lot of money. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice his reward. I'm going to give you even more to manage. I'm not giving you your own stuff. I'm giving you more of mine to take care of. And come and celebrate with me. I mean, the master's excited. Like, I gave you this, and you went out and took care of it. You were faithful. You were diligent. And now we're going to celebrate together. Come into my joy. We get to the second one. Um, Verse 22. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Oh, that's not bad. Wish you would have done a little more like the guy who did five talents, but I guess we'll, we'll go with it for now. Same exact words. Well done, good and faithful servants. You too, well done. You are good, you are faithful. I am excited. Thank you for what you have done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. One earned five, one earned two, but the master still says, you've been faithful. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the diligent commitment to what I gave you. It was recognizing that I am the master, that you did this for my honor, and you're bringing it back here, and come celebrate. One more guy. He also had received the one talent, came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here is what is yours. I guess in a way it sounds reasonable. Um, Have you ever been in a situation where you were afraid of a boss, maybe afraid of a coach, a parent, something? And out of that fear, you acted in a certain way. And that was your justification. I was afraid, and so I did something I might not normally do. That's what this guy does. He says, I know about you that you are a hard man. I don't want to mess this up. So I took your talent. I went and buried it in the ground so nobody could get it. And here it is, giving it back to you. Different evaluation. Verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Now, back at the beginning, it said he gave to each according to his ability. That what he gave was not like, I wouldn't expect that, we'll just use Chris McCampbell here. 
I would not expect Chris McCampbell to play drums the way that Cliff does. Maybe he can, but I'm not aware of it. And so I'm not going to come to Chris and go, well, here you go. Here's some drumsticks. Go, go lead. No, that, that's not. The master gives according to what. And this guy only gets one. The expectations weren't as high. The master knows something about this servant. And so far, the master has given an evaluation to say, this is what I know about what happened. I know that you were good and faithful. I know that you were good and faithful. You, what you are telling me, is not true. You are a wicked and slothful servant. You are evil and lazy. And he keeps going. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. That's what you think of me? Then you ought to have at least invested the money. You're making things up because you're evil and you're lazy and you didn't want to do anything with this. If you really thought this was who I was, why didn't you at least go into the temple and say, here's the money, use it so we can gain some interest or something from it? You were wicked, you were lazy. That's your real problem. And now you're making excuses for it. You notice that the other servants seem to have no fear whatsoever of their master. And the master's response to those servants indicates no, like, the, the second guy. There's no disappointment there. How could you not get more? He, he says, enter my joy. He's excited about what they've done. Even the one has done less than the other. But this other guy has a very different attitude. He is lazy. He cares more about him. And he's actually trying to fool the master as opposed to honor the master. Keep going with me. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. That's what should have happened at the minimum. There are two approaches here. On one side, you have some people who are committed to the master and diligent. And the master notices and recognizes they all can't do the same thing, but he offers them what he knows they can do. And they take that and they go and do it. They manage it. And no matter what the result was, the master says, well done. Because you were diligent, you were committed. You went forward with what I had you. Then there's this other attitude of a guy who says, I'm just going to go bury this so I don't have to worry about it. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm not going to worry about what the master has given me. I'm going to take what he has given me, make sure he gets it back. But I'm not going to do anything with it. And that one, the outcome is not good. And when he is brought before the master, he tries to justify. This morning, just this morning, I want to read you, I'm going to tell you a couple headlines. Bill Clinton has said that it is the Republicans' fault that Hillary's political campaign is having issues right now. The Russians have said that it's the Polish fault for World War II. The Iranians have blamed the Saudis for the stampede. The Saudis have blamed the African nationalities 
And then the lead cleric came out and said, it's just destiny. We have no responsibility for those 700 plus people that were trampled. That is just from this morning. We are a nation and a people that are so good at trying to justify our bad actions. Not taking responsibility for what we have done or not done. And you just see it throughout. I mean, that is like, and I do it too. I'm not, I'm not beyond this. But this is what this servant is doing. This servant is deciding, I am going to just, in fact, he's placing the blame actually on the master. And, and you heard this back in the Garden of Eden too. Um, I mean, the passing of the blame from one to another You've got Eve blaming the servant. You've got Adam going, well, the woman you gave me. That's what that is. It's the same thing. I mean, we've been doing this ever since sin came in. We're trying to figure out how to get out of our responsibilities. You cannot. I've already said, I want you to hear this, I want you to hear this, I want you to hear this one, right? If you leave with nothing else today, you cannot escape your responsibility before God. You can escape your responsibility before people at times. You can get away with stuff. I mean, Volkswagen's been getting away with it for a long time at this point. <laughs> you can get away with some stuff. Right? You cannot get away from what God has called you to. There is no justification there are no excuses. There is no flipping the blame back. Here's an image for you to consider. Um, tonight at 9.15 p.m., you should go look at the moon. Because it'll be the first full lunar eclipse since 1983. Anybody? Is that right? And the next one is like 2033. Right, so this is special. And, and you can take pictures of it. And it's going to be awesome and neat and wonderful to see, and it'll be there for like four hours, so like 1.15 or something in the morning, and then it'll start to go. But it's going to be great. But if you were to take, in fact, we, I just got a new iPhone, and I told Chris I had to get it in the sermon somehow. <laughs> it has a great new camera on it, and it's got like 4K video and all this cool stuff, and like I can take pictures of it, and, um, but I'm still going to miss some of the detail. There is something called astrophotography, which is where pictures are taken using telescopes and filters and all of these amazing things to give you details of stuff you would never be able to see with just your eye or with just the camera. Um, it's allowed us to map out the galaxy. I mean, this is where we learn where things are actually at. And I mean, it, it's, and some of the pictures are just astounding. That kind of detail is what God sees in your life. The rest of the world, at times, it's like taking an iPhone and taking a picture of the moon. They may notice something is a little off, but we're getting away with all kinds of stuff. I mean, if I right now just gave you a, a notepad and I said, I want you to start writing down all the things you're getting away with. All the things people don't know about you. The stuff they don't see, the stuff they don't recognize, the stuff you haven't gotten caught for yet. All of us would have a list, some quite long, 
But if you come over here and you pull out that massively powerful telescope and you go look at the details of the moon, it's a whole lot different. When God is looking at our life, he is seeing everything. He's seeing all of our good and all of our bad. He's seeing all of our excuses, all of the things we think we're getting away from, getting away with. And there's nothing when we get to the end that we're going to get away with. There's nothing that we're not called to account for. It's the end of this. Notice the master's response. So take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more, who has, uh, for to everyone who has will more be given. I'm learning to read still. (laughs) And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I have two things to say about this. Here's the first. We really, truly need to take seriously that we're in between the times. That there actually is coming an accounting. That that at some point, we are going to stand before the creator of the universe, before almighty God, and there's an account that's given of our lives. And, And I know that it is easy to forget that. I know because I remember the very first vehicle that I ever got that was brand new, a Toyota Tundra truck. I'd never had a brand new car up to that point, my first brand new car, but we leased it. Uh, We couldn't afford to actually buy it. We leased the vehicle. Payments were less. And the first year I had that truck, I mean, I parked out in the middle of nowhere every time I went shopping. I walked like a mile to get to Target so you wouldn't hit my car. I was always concerned about the number of miles on it because, you know, we had so many miles in this lease, and I didn't want to put too many on the car. And, uh, you know, Texas garages seem really small, which is really dumb for really big trucks. Like, for a place that prizes itself on big, garages are really tiny. And so this truck, you had to back it in so that you could go against the wall, and, like, you couldn't get into the passenger side. But that was just so you could get the other car in the garage. And I was so careful every single time. It may take me five minutes to back my truck in the garage, but I was not going to mess that truck up. I took such good care of that truck. And then on year two, I parked a little closer to Target. I only walked about a half mile and then. And I moved a little quicker getting into the garage, and I didn't wash the truck quite as often. And then in year three, I was waiting for the closest parking spot to open up so that I could pull in there. It was like, you know, the compact thing. I'm pulling my truck in there, but I wanted to get close to Target. And then, not too long before we had to turn that truck in, my truck is in the front, in the driveway. My dog, big dog, like 110-pound lab, comes running out the back door. And I don't know what got into this dog, but he decided he needed to run up my truck. He jumped onto the front of the truck dug his claws into it, and then fell. (laughs) Now, you may not like the sound of nails on a chalkboard, but your dog's nails in your leased truck, that's the worst sound you can hear. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, no. Like, I have to return this thing. 
I got to bring it back. They're going to make me pay for it. They're going to make me do this stuff. And suddenly, I remembered, I don't own this vehicle. Somebody else does. Somebody else owns this thing, and I actually have to have an accounting for this. And I had forgotten that over three years. I had forgotten it already. You and I have a lifetime to remember that there is an accounting coming. God is going to hold our lives accountable, even as he does here. Now, what exactly does this mean? He has cast that worthless servant into outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds a whole lot like hell to me. Anybody else? That sounds pretty bad. Uh, that doesn't sound like just a, let me give you a little slap on the wrist because you messed up with my talent. Uh, that sounds really bad. So are you telling me, here's a natural question from this, that the way in which I steward what God has given me determines whether I get into heaven or hell? It's exactly what I'm telling you. No, it's not it. <laughs> This is not what I'm telling you at all. We are saved by faith. By the grace of God, through the faith and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. However, have you read James? I want to read something to you. Because yes, this is James 2. Yes, we are, by the grace of God, saved through faith. However, don't think that that expression of faith that is in any way insignificant. Do not think that God just wants us to go, cool, I'm in. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. There's a certain kind of belief that's really not the kind of belief that we're talking about that saves a person here. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Here is what I believe we can say. When you place your faith in Christ, it is a commitment. It is a lifelong commitment to Christ that plays itself out. That if I say, for example, some of our chairs in the past, they had screws that would come loose a lot. Um, we bought new ones because we kept having to try and fix them, and they would fall apart. If one of those chairs was falling apart, and I said, I believe that chair will hold me, but I'm not sitting on that chair. Do I actually believe that chair will hold me? That's, what behind, that's, that's the idea behind what James is saying. 
if you really do believe in Christ, if you are placing your trust in him, that it impacts your life, it changes who you are. Now, notice there was still five talents and two talents. I'm not giving you like, well, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you're not really saved. I'm not giving you a checklist. What I'm telling you is that we have to live in light of that faith. And one of the core ways of doing that is how we steward what God gives us. And if we come to the end and we are held accountable before God and we look back at our lives and God says, all you did was bury the talent. I would not expect much for your future because we've seen the result of that right here in front of us. And this is not meant to scare anybody. This is not meant to be some, you know, you're going to be saved by works. But it is meant to say exactly what the scripture is saying right here. What you do with what God has given you should be in line with your confession of who he is. Those two things should match up. Do they match up for you? Are you stewarding what God has given you in a way that actually matches your confession that he is the Lord, that he is my savior? I said earlier that the Pope is leaving today. He has seen, he has addressed the Congress, he's addressed the General Assembly for the United Nations, he has met with the presidents. I mean, he has done some high-powered things. At 9.15 this morning, he went to meet with bishops. Do you know what he's doing right now while we're in this service? He's in Philadelphia, he is in the largest supermax prison in Philadelphia, meeting with over 100 inmates. He went from the bishops to meeting with inmates in a prison. And it is not a gimmick. This is who this pope is. He was elected in 2013, and a few days after his election, it was during Holy Week, a few days after his election, on Monday, Thursday, he was washing and kissing the feet of prisoners in a Roman prison. He's been to the most violent prison in Bolivia, and his message to the inmates there was, you and I are not that much different. We are all sinners before God. He actually believes that we are called to minister to the poor and to those in prison, to the sick, and he does it. And he's been doing it his entire time as Pope. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your confession of faith? How are you managing what God has entrusted to you? You know what they were doing at the prison? They were getting ready. They interviewed a couple of the inmates. They were so excited the Pope was coming to see them. Like they built him a chair to sit on because they were getting ready for his coming. Are we? Are we living our lives like we are ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? That's what we are called to.
That is what stewardship is all about. You pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for people like Pope Francis. People who are living out the faith. Ministering to those who need ministering to. Living in such a way that it might bring honor to you. That like those first two servants, we are called to recognize that all that has been given to us is yours and you've given us the joy and the privilege of taking care of it. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to start looking at everything that we have through different eyes. Like we are waiting for our Savior to come back, expecting that he'll return, and living our lives in such a way that it reflects that. Lord, help us to get rid of our justifications and our excuses Help us to not bury our talent, but to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.